0: What's going on guys, Doc Danny here with the Active Atlanta podcast and I have my good friend Kristen Oja from Stat Wellness on today. I'm going to read a little bit of her bio, which is fairly extensive. So if you want to read more of it, head to statwellness.com. She is a doctor of nursing, a nurse practitioner with a focus on on functional medicine in particular. She's an entrepreneur, she owns Stat Wellness in the West uh, Midtown area. They use a holistic approach to health and wellness and utilize both movement and medicine, which... To my knowledge and what we've talked about i think you're the only person in the country that we know of that's using medicine and movement together to help people stay um, healthy and live an active healthy life is that right
1: yes it is we're excited to kind of pioneer this new space
0: how's that feel i feel like sometimes it's better to be second and let somebody else do all the hard work uh how do you feel about that
1: you know i i feel very confident and i feel very hopeful um thankfully if other people refer like if someone was like, you've got to come check out Stat Wellness, they've already bought in. When yeah. you have a new person coming in for just a group fitness class, you do have to convince them. You really have to tell them the story and why they need to blend both medicine and movement. Yeah. Um, so that part can be challenging. But honestly, I think people in general are tired of being tired and they're tired of not feeling their best.
0: So That's a really good way to put it. I mean, yeah, I think that's super accurate. Most of the people that we talk to, and we get a chance to work with, and I think we have a lot, you know, obviously a lot of similarities and, and we feel that movement really is medicine, right? And the more people move and the more that they, they, they get stronger and more mobile, um, many of their problems go away and, and they live a more um, fulfilled, active life, right? They're not avoiding these things that they enjoy so much and they're spending meaningful time with their family. Like I, I had a conversation with a guy earlier today that was talking about how he just didn't want to be the dad sitting on the side of the pool that couldn't throw his kid you know, in, in the air and in the pool because of, uh, not being strong enough to do it, you know, and it's something that I think that, you know, I sort of take that for granted. I've never thought about that at all, but, but yet you and I are a little bit of outliers in terms of what we do, um, you know, day in and day out. And, and there's a lot of people just feel bad all the time. They're, they're, they're tired. They're, they're in pain, they're sick, you know, and and we're going to talk a lot about gut health. And I mean, that's a whole nother kind of area that I think people can really benefit from, but I think that's a great, a great point. And, and do you think that in some ways, this sort of epidemic that we see day in and day out is really primarily driven by the environment around us at this point?
1: Yes, yes. I mean, I think the number one thing that we have to look at is our food quality. I mean, we eat three, four, some people five times a day, and I think it really starts there. One, our food is not as nutritionally dense from our soil we're genetically, genetically modifying things. We're putting hormones and antibiotics in our meat and dairy. And I think a lot of it really starts with what we're putting in our mouth. And then we're sitting a lot more. We're not moving. Mm -hmm. We're sitting in traffic. We're sitting at a desk. We're going to sleep. We're sitting and watching TV. We're sitting on our computer. And I really think the combination of those two things is what is making Americans so sick.
0: Oh man. Sedentary lifestyle is, I couldn't agree more. I think that, uh, you know, it's, it's a huge problem. Um, I had an opportunity to teach in Australia about four years ago. And and one of their physios that I met was, was part of their, um, their, their government run, um, medical system and primarily in the prevention side. And one of their, their biggest initiatives was to help decrease sedentary lifestyle, which they defined as six hours of sitting or more per day. And, and if you really think about that, you know, most of the people listening to this, Easily, probably sit six hours a day, you know, and yeah. and what they found is you really can't even negate that um, by training by physical exercise uh, in terms of the long-term metabolic effects it has on your body. So I, I totally agree with you on that, and and I think in some cases, you know, the more the, the more professional of a job you have, right, the more school you go to, the more you're kind of bound to sitting at a desk in front of you know a computer, which is amazing, right? We have computers in our pockets now, for God's sakes, but. It is a catch-22, I think, for how we're designed and for the system that, that we live in um, and the context in which we have to understand how to, how to make that work, right? So I, I think, to, let's take it back a, a second because I would, I would love for you to be able to share your story of how did you go from Georgia College and State University, me too, go Bobcats, uh, alumni, to you know, going down the path of where you're at now with functional medicine, um, starting your own clinic, and, and I'd, I'd love to sort of hear how that evolves.
1: Yeah. So it really starts actually freshman year of college. Um, I always, I danced, I played lacrosse. I never thought that I had to purposely work out because I just was active. And I went to college and by Christmas, like most people, or at least females that I know, freshman year 15, my pants didn't button. And I was like, what in the world? Like, I'm just like eating and living normally, but I realized I wasn't purposely exercising and I wasn't playing sports. So I started to quickly realize that you had to be mindful about what you put in your mouth and how you move your body. And so I got into fitness and, um, long story short, became a group fitness instructor and a personal trainer. And I thought that's kind of what I wanted to do the rest of my life. And people encouraged me to get a degree. They were like, you have to get a college degree. So I talked to some people and they said, go nursing. You can always fall back on it. And to be honest, I hated the first few semesters in nursing school. Really? In the hospital, it was these white fluorescent lights Mm. and no windows and people in there for hours. And it was just dark and people were unhappy and people were overweight and they were taking 20 pills and I mean, it was, it was a place where I didn't know if I could continue my nursing field. I was yeah. very discouraged. Um, until the last semester, I found the emergency room. And I, of course, as an adrenaline junkie entrepreneur, I loved it. I got 13 miles in a shift. I had my pedometer on. I was <sighs> sprinting from one side to the other side. Um, but I had patients come on gurneys with the brown bag. You know, their brown bag on their chest. And inside that brown bag was 20 pills. And they didn't know why they were taking each thing. And they've been on this one for five years and that one for three years. And they don't even know who's refilling them anymore. They just go and pick them up. They don't really understand why they're taking each thing. And I just realized that so many of those patients coming in with those comorbidities and the polypharmacy, so much of that could be prevented with lifestyle. And I didn't feel like in the emergency room, I had time to talk to people about their lifestyle and how to make simple changes. And my whole thing is little by little, little becomes a lot. So I just wanted to make a little impact in these patients' lives. So I went on and got my master's and loved it because I was learning about anatomy and physiology and how the body worked as one and how medicines worked in the body. And it just took the nursing school and just took it much deeper into a prescribing and a provider role. So I was able to sit down and make lifestyle changes with my patients. I was able to talk about sodium talk about processed food. And I did still prescribe medicine. If people had high blood pressure, I prescribed medicine. Or um, if they were depressed, I prescribed antidepressants. But I tried to say, okay, well, are you getting natural sunlight? Are you getting up and moving in the morning? Are you sleeping well? Are you eating sugar all day? How much caffeine are you consuming? And so just being able to connect some of those dots just right away really refueled my passion for nursing that I had lost. Um, And I did really well through my master's program. So Georgia College reached out and they were like, you know, we've got this scholarship, we'd love for you to apply for it. I ended up getting it. So I got a full ride for my doctorate. They sent me to DC for leadership conferences. I was able to pick my own dissertation. So of course, as we're going to talk about, I wanted to study the gut because it really is the gateway to your health. So I did a whole, we can talk about my study someday, um, but I had a hundred people in my study all with functional gastrointestinal disorders and proved statistically significant results with natural supplements. So that was really fun. And then um, started my career in integrative medicine and still just felt like there was a piece of the puzzle missing that, you know, maybe the approach is not to do a bunch of tests and get people on a bunch of supplements because yes, there's a place for that. And I saw so much improvement and I'm so passionate and thankful for my experience. I still felt like I wasn't able to hold my patients accountable and I wasn't able to see them move. And I wasn't able to build a relationship in a community where I could track positive change. And that's ultimately what my mission is with Stout Wellness is I want to give you the knowledge through medicine, my training and integrative, functional, conventional, all of those modalities. But I want to show you through movement how you can become your best self. Um, because we really believe it's not wellness. Our whole trademark is wellness feels good. And I think it's contagious. And I think once you start feeling better, you want to tell everybody to feel better. Yeah, And it's really fun. I mean, it's a fun place to
0: be. It's totally true. It, you know, not that I drank a lot before, but, but as, as I, you know, really started to get into you know, the development of our own business, I just don't like feeling like crap, you know? So for me, like if, if I may have a beer or something like that, yeah. but I'm not I'm not drinking more than probably one drink ever. And case, that, that might be once a month. Right. If, you know, if I'm around, you know, somebody at dinner or something like that. Or um, you know, I just don't want to be an asshole if somebody's like, hey, dude, have a beer with me. Okay, cool. Like uh-huh. I'll have one with you, but I'm not gonna have six or ten, right. you know, like I uh-huh. did when I was in college. And uh, and and part of it is because like I just don't want to feel bad. And yep. and I know what it feels like to feel really good. Plus, my kids could care less if I'm hungover they yeah. don't care. Like it's yeah. six 30 in the morning and they're ready to go. So, yeah. you know, I, I think that this idea of how we feel, I, I think for many people are, they're sort of uh, numb to how bad they feel. They don't really know, you know, yeah. and I, how do you feel like that epiphany moment is for folks whenever all of a sudden they're like, Whoa, this is what it's supposed to feel like. Cause I always find that really, really cool when somebody yeah. actually gets that.
1: Yes. That's my favorite thing about what I do, honestly, is because we do what's called a medical symptom questionnaire, which is through the Institute of Functional Medicine, and people are able to rate their symptoms. And Mm -hmm. some, some people come in and describe their health as good. Like on their questionnaire, they say they feel good and healthy, but their medical symptom questionnaire is a score of like 90, and less than 10 is optimal. So I'm looking at this and I'm like, you have all these symptoms that you scored a 90 and you identify as good and healthy. Yeah. And we start breaking down and they're like, well, gosh, when you put it that way, maybe I do have a lot more symptoms than I thought I had. And I was like, you know, it's not normal to have diarrhea after you eat. And it's not normal to need an afternoon nap. And it's not normal to require that third cup of coffee in the morning to get going. Right. And I think that America just makes it seem like that's okay. Like keep pushing, keep pushing. Yeah. Um, so it is a really fun aha moment when one they realize they don't have to feel like that forever and they get hope. And then two, when they start feeling like, Kristen, I like don't need my coffee in the morning and I'm I realize what it's like to sleep seven and a half hours of actually uninterrupted sleep. Yeah, it's, totally it's amazing.
0: <laughs> with, with sleep? I had a I had a uh a doc tell me one time he's a. Uh, um He's a sleep specialist and, and he was yeah. like, It's silly. The every, who doesn't like sleep? Like, who does why is this such a hard thing to talk people into doing more of? Like everybody should want to do that, but we just don't prioritize it. And even after, you know, a a few weeks of that, we accommodate to it. And we think that we're doing better than we actually are. You know, there's plenty of studies that show neurologically, we're just not as, you know, attuned to what's going on. We can't recall things as well, but we swear we're doing better because our body is really good at adapting. And it's our superpower is just to kind of check the box, do the thing, and then move on to the next thing, not necessarily do it well, or the way that we're designed. So, you know, for, for you, I think maybe take a second and describe What is an integrative or a functional approach? Because I think for a lot of people, they don't really like understand that versus traditional allopathic general practitioner medicine. And just so everybody understands, like you don't, you don't need to listen to anything else. Kristen says, this is, this is a person my family uses, my mom, our son, you know, me, Ashley, like this is who we use. So if you, if you want to know if there's credibility there, this is the exact person that that we use. So we believe in this type of approach wholeheartedly. So, you know, just give a second and share what that looks like for everybody else.
1: I think that's such a key component is understanding what functional medicine is, because I think there's a lot of people that think it's voodoo or crazy medicine. And I always remind people, functional medicine, I think talking about that first is important, is really allopathic in nature. Like we are talking anatomy and physiology, and we're looking at how your cells are working, and we're looking at how your systems are working as one rather than just focusing on your hormones or just focusing on your gut or just focusing on your nerves. So in conventional medicine, we have neurologists and we have gastroenterologists and endocrinologists that specialize in certain areas and we use them when needed. But functional medicine says, okay, let's take these different systems and look at them as one and find out how can we get you functioning more optimally. Yeah. We all have some sort of dysfunction in our body. And that's what functional medicine does is we look at the whole system and we try to figure out the root cause and the root imbalances so that you can become your best. So I always say we in functional medicine have really two types of people. We have ones that feel good or think they feel good, but want to feel even better mm. or their CEOs and executives and they just want to perform to their highest ability. And then we have another group of people that does feel bad. They recognize that they feel really sick. They've gone to all the specialists and nobody can figure out what's going on with them because it's more a functional dysfunction, right? The system's not working well and the gut is a great example of that. Um, So functional medicine is conventional medicine that focuses on the whole person and the root cause. And it really takes a physiological perspective. And we like to see on a cellular level, Not just are, is your B12 and your vitamin D normal, but is it optimal? Like reference ranges are really garbage. Like reference ranges are the norm in America, but is it optimal? So we we help decipher all of that. And the other component in functional medicine is we really like to know your whole timeline. I want to go back to your birth. What was your mom like when she was pregnant? Was she smoking? Was she stressed and eating fast food? And were you a vaginal delivery or a C-section? Were you breastfed? Um, where you want a lot of antibiotics before the age of three, because these are all things we're starting to learn, have a big impact on how we are today with our health right. wellness.
0: Yeah, especially uh, even with, I mean, those of you that have parents that are listening to this, even something like a diagnosis in, in autism or on the spectrum of autism can have a strong, uh, relationship with these factors that you just recommend, or that you just talked about, like exposure to bacteria, bacteria in the, in the birth canal, you know, actually like not having any antibiotics, being breastfed, all these things dramatically decrease the likelihood that you're going to have these. And I think that's, what's so fascinating about this is that we think it's, it's this separated neurologic system, musculoskeletal system, you know, uh, gut system, you know, and, and really we're so intertwined and well-connected that you can't dissociate those in particular, the gut and the brain. So if you can take a few minutes and kind of describe why there's such a strong effect with our nervous system and our, our digestive system.
1: Yes. So they actually call the gut the second brain. So we're realizing we have more neurons in our gut than we even have in our brain, which is crazy. Um, I think one of the other key components that people don't realize is over 90% of our serotonin is made in the gut. And serotonin is our happy neurotransmitter, but it also helps to balance some of our excitatory neurotransmitters. So when we think about our nerves and our brain in this excitatory state that we live in, having optimal gut health to have serotonin to help balance those neurotransmitters is so important. Mm. Um, I always say there is some people that are still brain gut, but a lot of things are gut brain. So, we also know 75% of the immune system is in the digestive tract. So, the immune system and inflammatory cascade are connected. So, one of the things when we think of nerves and we think of muscles and we think of inflammation, a lot of that can stem in the gut with even things as simple as food sensitivities and that leaky gut. And so, if that lining becomes weak, it triggers an inflammatory, uh, immune, and inflammatory cascade, which is going to make the nerves. Inflamed, it's going to make the muscles inflamed. So, as you think about the work that you guys do with movement as medicine, if your gut's imbalanced, you're going to be in this excitatory state. You're not going to have enough serotonin, you're going to have more inflammation. Um, We also know that um, that's where we absorb all of our nutrients. We even think about magnesium, right? Magnesium is a relaxing mineral that helps with our muscles and our nerves. So, if we're not absorbing in our small intestines because of gut dysfunction, it's going to affect our nervous system completely. So, the big thing is. That, you know, maybe IBS or irritable bowel syndrome is not an issue with the brain because a lot of people's approach is going on antidepressant and it actually works for some people, but it's not because they're depressed. It's because their gut's not making a serotonin, which impacts motility and overall ability to manage stress and anxiety. So I always say, you know, maybe it's not brain-gut and it's gut-brain. And really, we need to think of that gut as a second brain and how many neurons and how that's our first kind of immune system response to everything that we're putting in our mouth every day.
0: Yeah. And, and I mean, also just think about how you feel if your stomach is irritated, you know, yeah. like I, I, we see this even with Jack, you know, we had our, our son uh, who's seven, he like picked up some some sort of thing that was bugging his stomach in New Orleans when we were down there. And we feel bad because, you know, we're like trying to go. Eat dinner somewhere, and Jack's like not wanting to eat. And dude, you're ruining dinner, bro. Just eat, eat some <laughs> some gumbo, homie. You know, and like, he's like, ah, oh, my stomach's killing me, right? And and we had you take a look at him, and you caught something that was was uh, you know, really helpful for us to, to start to get him feeling better and and he was cranky as could be when his gut was was uh, irritated and every time that he would eat it's because it would irritate his stomach and now imagine that as an adult now you can cope with it better you're not going to lash out like a 7 year old might um or ha- you know have like emotional response like a 7 year old might but it doesn't mean it's still it's not irritating to you and and i think that's what's so fascinating about this is you know I'm, i i think for most people like you see executives and business owners they're always trying to like optimize right like oh can i squeeze out a little bit more productivity a little bit yeah. more creativity because that could be worth a lot to them but the yeah. average person, I mean, what does that mean in terms of your ability to just like control your emotions, you know, or, or to be able to think level headed with your job that you have and, and, and manage your time with your kids and the stressful things that we have anyway. Um, yeah. I mean, all of that can really come back to just better uh, control neurologically via having a, a less irritated gut that's functioning the way it's supposed to. So I, I think, I think it could be both ways, right? Because I even remember, I don't have any gut problems in high school that I knew of, but every time before a football game, I would puke. Yes. But- because I was nervous, you know, and then I would puke and then it was over and then I was fine for the game. But um, I do think it goes, you know, gut brain or or brain um, gut, but I think it's easier to start with the gut in my opinion.
1: Yes, 100%. And I think too, like what if we could solve depression which is huge in the U.S. by thinking about what we're putting in our body and how the food and the microbiome, which I find it so fascinating, our gut microbiome is the most complex ecosystem in the world. Yeah, like That's how crazy what is inside of our large intestines is. And so I think it's really empowering to think that we could impact our disease state, our depression, our autoimmune disease, our Hashimoto's by examining gut health. So. Well,
0: think about, talk, talk about this for a second in terms of, um, you know, really nasty neurologic autoimmune diseases that, that we know, uh, the immune system, you know, uh, there's a protective effect whenever we have a strong immune system. And, and if this is the area where most of it lives, if we're blunting that with things that are irritating it constantly, it, I, I think of it like bandwidth, right? Like you have a certain amount of bandwidth to do work. Your, your body yeah. has a certain amount of bandwidth to fight off disease and heal itself. And yeah. if it's constantly doing that somewhere, where it's not necessarily, uh, it shouldn't be, it takes away from these other things. So, so how, how strong is the, the, uh, the correlation between, you know, neurologic, nasty, you know, dementia, MS, things like that and gut health.
1: Yeah, it's so, so correlated. Um, One of the things is you cannot have an immune response without having inflammation, and you can't have inflammation without triggering an immune response. So the Mm -hmm. arrow goes both ways, and those go together. And so again, going back to 75% of your immune system starting in the gut, autoimmune is on the rise, and it's much more common in females than it is in males. So we know it's not only gut health. Hormones play a role and blood sugar plays a role and there's a whole slew of things. But we do know that the immune system starts there and in functional medicine, and really you're seeing even more of these. this research on PubMed and everything, that this increased intestinal permeability is triggering immune dysfunction. Yeah. So again, going back to the food, the one that's the most obvious that I see all the time is Hashimoto's and gluten intolerance. I think this is the mm. most documented connection. But that's the one that's the most documented. What else is playing a role with ALS and MS and um, eczema and psoriasis and rheumatoid arthritis? And so when my patients come in with autoimmune disease, the first things I want to do is a stool test and a food sensitivity because I want to examine what's happening with your gut microbiome. Do you have enough of the good bacteria? And we're also figuring out certain bugs that are potentially pathogenic or possibly disease-causing that are correlated with autoimmune disease. And I always say it's not a causation. So it doesn't mean because you have this, you're going to have autoimmune. But when I look at my patients with autoimmune, these markers that we found in research to be higher in autoimmune are higher in my patient's school. Like we know the gut microbiome plays a role on this. Um, Again, it's a correlation and not a causation, but it's important to understand that because knowledge is power. And then, what foods are we eating that may be increasing that intestinal permeability because those food particles are starting to seep through the lining and they're triggering an immune response? And again, when that immune system's activated, inflammation's activated. So, part of it is okay, well, is our immune system getting exhausted over time because of this chronic inflammation? Or is it having to be hyper aware and over respond to these food particles and bacteria that's seeping through our lining? And autoimmune is your body attacking itself. So it starts not recognizing what's a good cell versus a bad self. So what if we could get our immune system smarter and get inflammation down through the food we eat and strengthening our gut microbiome and healing that intestinal permeability? I mean, to me, that's game-changing, and it's worth a try in um, oh, everybody.
0: Yeah. Definitely. Uh, well, are there certain foods? I mean, I think not everybody can you know, uh, necessarily afford to just go – straight to the source, hundred percent organic, whatever, if that even makes yeah. a difference. I'm not that, sh- I, I don't know, you know, and, but are there, are there certain foods for sure? Like if you're going to spend the extra money and make sure it's really high quality that people should, should really look to try to get the best source they can.
1: Yes. So environmental working group or EWG, they yeah. do a dirty dozen every year. Mm. So I highly suggest if you're trying to figure out which ones actually matter to go organic, purchase those organic. Kale made it on the list this year. It wasn't on the 2018 list, but it's on the oh, 2019. Wow. Yeah. And part of the reason these foods are on there is it's things that become popular superfoods where everybody starts buying them. And so they're yeah. trying to mass produce. Hmm. So they use more pesticides, more herbicides. Um, so I trust that environmental working group. So those are the ones I try to buy organic. And then I also do the exact opposite where I look at the clean 15. So they actually give us 15 that are the cleanest produce that you don't need to buy organic. And so I usually reference that when I'm at the store unless something's on sale because I don't buy everything organic, but I do the dirty dozen and I do the clean 15 non-organic. And also if you have a Costco membership, that is a way to save so much money. You buy frozen, yeah, frozen organic berries and you throw them in smoothies Mm. or you thaw them out and put them in with your yogurt, you know, it's such. It's so much more cost-effective now. They have organic kale for almost the same price as regular kale, and they're constantly changing things. Organic spinach. Um, the other one that's on the dirty dozen that I see is a big problem besides kale is celery because there's a huge trend to juice celery. Yeah. So people are taking the highest pesticide food, one of the highest pesticide produce. They're juicing it, so they're putting in basically a whole stalk every morning, and they're drinking it. And um, if you don't buy that organic, I really see terrible side effects. So I recommend organic celery, especially if you're juicing it.
0: So and, and maybe we can clarify some of this. And, and uh, from from what I've read and, and, uh, and understand, the reason that you would want some of these foods uh, in, in organic state is, if it's not, some of the things they're using to help you know, keep the food from getting eaten by bugs are essentially variations of antibiotics. And those are ingested into your body. So you're taking low levels of antibiotics, which we know are killing bacteria uh, in in the gut through the food that you're eating unknowingly. Is that about right?
1: Yes. And, or they're, you know, pesticides that are chemicals that are just killing everything. So they're if they're not antibiotics. They really are killing what's in your gut and it's foreign. So your body doesn't recognize as chemical. So it's triggering an immune response. Yeah. So yes, for the antibiotic effect. And then also just because it's killing off too much good. And it's a foreign chemical that your body can't recognize all of those. I mean, if you even look at the EU, they have like 1500 things that they can't use on their produce. And right. I don't know the exact count now I'd have to go fact verify, But a few years ago, it was 11. So there's no way we're caught up to that 1500. And we don't even know the long term effects. And wow. I mean, it's, it's crazy to me. So I think that as consumers, we need to just be aware of what we're putting in our body because we're driving the organic prices cheaper. I don't know if mm. you've noticed the past couple of years, but organic is becoming more affordable and it's because of the demand. They're yeah. having to to narrow the margins. So buy organic for the dirty dozen don't buy organic for the clean 15. Of course, everything organic is best, but most people don't want to spend that much money with their wallet. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, sure. um, the dirty doesn't, I recommend buying organic. And then especially if you're a female, really getting good quality meat and dairy so that you're not getting hormones because that's really where we're seeing a lot of the hormones in our meat products that we're consuming, um, which wow. is scary.
0: Well, why, why is it, so, all right, last time we were overseas or in, in, in Europe, I mean, I'm walking around Italy eating pizza like a madman. Stomach feels totally fine. I eat a bunch of pizza here. It's going to bother me. Like, what's yeah. the, is, is this have to do with the banned foods you're talking about? Like there is, and, and it just seems like one of those things that everybody kind of, you know, understands We're like, oh, wow, I can eat certain things here, but I can't at home. What the hell? What's going on?
1: It's very common. And I even have, and I do not recommend this, but I do have a patient with celiac disease. So celiac is like worst case scenario, true yeah. immune to gluten, right? This is like, don't mess around. You cannot be exposed to gluten. This isn't a mild gluten sensitivity. And she could eat gluten in Europe. I did not tell her to, but she did. And she felt fine. If she did yeah. it here, she would break out in a rash and have like extreme abdominal pain. Um, wow. So that is like, to me, the most, I mean, I, that's so crazy to even be able to explain that she's got an autoimmune response to a protein in wheat, but she doesn't in Europe. And she does in the US. Yeah. To me, that's just- So part of it, there's a lot of different thought processes behind that. Part of it is, well, are we just genetically modifying this grain into a different form of gluten that the body doesn't recognize? That may be part of it. The other thought is these pesticides that we're putting on are basically, they're sealing around the um, grain and then we're cooking and processing the grain. So we're like deeply embedded into those pesticides because they're on the grain themselves. So, and we don't really have a great way to clean and process. So the thought is, is it genetically modified or is it the pesticides that are getting deep into the pores of these grains um, that we're reacting to, but the gluten here we know is different than the gluten there in Europe, um, which is really sad, but I do think too, not everybody has an issue with gluten. So like all of a sudden, because of some of the people that really do react to gluten, it's become such a bad food. Um, but I do prefer, like for me personally, I don't have an issue with gluten. I've tested every form you possibly can to see if I do, and I've eliminated it and added it back in to see what yeah. impact. And I feel the same, but I do, when I'm at home, try to buy organic and sprouted bread. So like I'll get some good Ezekiel bread, keep it in the freezer, doesn't have all the pesticides. Um, so I try to get better quality. Um, but I think it really is the genetically modifying it and the pesticides that we're putting on our produce.
0: Yeah. I mean, when I look at, you know, growing up, a lunch for me was a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, a bag of Doritos and a little Debbie. That was, right. uh, that was Danny to say lunch from middle school through, through high school. And who knows how much crap I ingested with, with that. And and frankly, nobody really knew. I mean, I had friends who we thought were their Their parents were weird. We wouldn't go to their house uh, right. because they didn't have anything cool to eat. And, and I I wonder though, like how much of that it seems like it's changing in, in the right direction in terms of people's like understanding of nutrition and, and what you put in your body and how important that is. And I would say even for you in the last few years, have you seen a massive change in what people are willing to, to try to understand in their own health?
1: Yes. And I think you can see that even when you go to restaurants, because yeah. now we're putting what has dairy in it, what has gluten in it, we're putting the calorie count, like People are becoming more aware because we're in, we're realizing the impact of food. And I think one of the biggest things that we're seeing is diabetes on the rise, cancer on the rise, obesity on the rise. Um, we're now calling diabetes is it possibly type three diabetic? Um, so we're seeing the impact that the sugar wow. is having, and we're seeing more ADD, more ADHD, more skin rashes. So. I think people are becoming much more aware. And I think that's one of the reasons why our business is thriving as much as it is, is because people want answers. They want to know why they don't like they are having these symptoms. And maybe they're not bad disease states, but it's, I never have had focus issues before. And now I do, or I'm now having the skin rash. So Yes, a hundred percent. I'm seeing so much more awareness. I'm seeing more, um, people willing to make changes. I even think when I started doing this five, six years ago, telling people to cut out certain foods or be mindful of what they were putting in, even though they were interested in this kind of medicine, they still weren't ready to make the change. And if they did make the change, it was hard because you'd go out to eat and the menus didn't look the way they look now. Right. So, yeah. and that's within six years. I mean, think about in five more years from here, what we're going to be, yeah. uh, so
0: we might just be eating all of our, our food in like a capsule form and then we don't have to worry about right. it. You know? just, just, just give me what I need. What, what do I need based on my genetics and put it in a, a pill? I'll just eat that shit. I'm good. You know, and, and, and be, be, be done with it. I hope somebody else figures it out. I'm not smart enough to figure that out. You know, but I, I would say this, I think for a lot of people, you know, there's this sort of element of. Um, overlap that we tend to see with, with folks, you know, we, we see this, somebody with lower back pain, it's like, all right, try these for three things first. This, yeah. this is a great way to, you know, really get after a problem. Um, some, for some people, it's all they need and we don't even have to see them for you. Have you found like two or three things that most people that are dealing with gut problem, um, can do to really start to take a crack at themselves? That's like a super easy strategy that tends to come up frequently.
1: So my favorite, if they are a very dedicated person to see what role food is playing, is to have them do something like Whole30 Mm. or an elimination diet. That kind of hits those main food sensitivities, gluten, dairy, sugar, um, soy, that people tend to react to. So if they do it for 30 days, I like to see in the 30 days, how does your gut feel? And if you feel a lot better in that 30 days, well, clearly food is playing a big role, right? So I think that's a really good go-to. There are ways that I can kind of see if it's something targeted. So maybe you come into me and you have bloating and acne. I'm going to have you do dairy first, right? I'm going to, like, you don't have to maybe do Whole 30. Maybe you're not ready for that. We do see a lot of acne and bloating with dairy. Um, So we we can kind of target it. But I always say if you're a dedicated person and you want to see what role food is playing, try something like Whole 30. It's free, there's no side effects. See, do you feel better in 30 days? And if yeah. you do, don't add everything back in at, a, at the same time, right? Yeah. I people come in all the time and they're like, oh, I felt amazing when I was on it. And then I started eating everything else and now I feel terrible again. But right. well, you got to do it again. <laughs> and then yeah. you got to gradually add things back in. But I think that's number one. And then if you're not ready for a Whole30, the biggest thing that I can tell Americans is be mindful of the amount of sugar you're consuming. Mm-hmm. It's in our healthy organic food. It's in our salad dressings. It's in our marinades. It's in our taco seasoning. It's in dessert. It's in chips, it's in crackers. Um, We are in a sugar epidemic where, as Americans, we like the taste of sweetness and sugar, and it's in everything. So, to me, one of the first things to do is one, eat single ingredient things. Broccoli is broccoli, and apple is an apple. It is not the carrot that is causing the obesity epidemic. I have patients come in and they avoid starchy vegetables, but they're still eating chobani yogurt with 26 grams of sugar in it first uh-huh. thing in the morning so and nothing's wrong with chobani that wasn't it but be mindful of the. watch sugar. out
0: chobani gonna- coming after you yeah i know <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know nothing negative it's just that that it's not like we get fixated on these like starchy foods that we avoid yeah. they're single ingredient foods so i think just being mindful of the sugar consumption trying whole 30 are two lifestyle things we can do Um, And then one of my other favorite things is just making sure, one, you're staying hydrated throughout the day. Because if you're not hydrated, you're not flushing things through your system the way they should be. And getting into moving, movement is important for digestion. It really is. If you're sitting all day and you're not drinking enough water, you are going to be constipated, right? So we need to move and we need to drink water. Um, So there's so many different things. And then we can get into the deeper, the probiotics and the prebiotics and the digestive enzymes and glutamine and all those things that we can even get from food. But I always say stick with something simple. Do something like Whole30 if you're really having gut dysfunction or do something like really being mindful and cutting out processed sugar for an extended period of time and see if you feel better.
0: Yeah, those, those are great. I would say the hydration piece. It's huge. You know, even, even with us, we, we talked to a lot of people about this because people are typically chronically dehydrated and, and it's when we have to ask them, like, have you had more coffee than water today? And they're, yeah. and they're like, not sure. That's yeah. not a good, a good place to be. Like that's a, it's a bad place to be. And, and what I found is on the flip side, a lot of people are just like, okay, well, I'm gonna drink a gallon of water a day. But even then they're just a run to the bathroom all the time. And, and, uh, what we typically will have people do. And this is a, a, a quick hack that I picked up from, um, Laird Hamilton's group, the XPT life group of just adding a little bit of sea salt and some, uh, some, uh, like they say, like apple cider vinegar or lemon or something that's acidic. And like just that, that's, that's all I drink. I'll, I'll drink a cup of coffee and I'll drink 16 ounces of that in the morning. And I feel so much better during the day. Um, I need the coffee. Otherwise I'm an idiot, but I need the, yeah. the water. So I'm hydrated. And, and it, and, and if I don't have the other things in it, then I just don't feel as, I don't feel as good, you know? So, you know, maybe it's cause we have less salt in our diet overall, but, um, I've noticed that that is a really, really good way of doing it. And, and hydration, it's a quick win, right? That's something that somebody can immediately feel better with.
1: Oh yes, yes.
0: Yeah. So now let's, let's, uh, let's end with this. I think, first of all, if anybody has something going on, it's a no brainer. Like they obviously need to just come to your practice and, um, And figure it out. And if they're willing to invest in their, in their health and, and, uh, and and solve a problem with somebody and get that information, like it's a perfect fit for that. This isn't, this isn't a place where somebody's just going to prescribe you a pill and then that's the end of it. Right. Just like, if you want that kind of a solution, that's not the right, um, it's just not the right fit, you know, and, and I don't think it's a great long-term solution in in general, but, uh, I want to end with a couple questions for you. So I want to ask these three and they might change, but for now I'm going to ask these three to everybody. So first of all, Name a restaurant in Atlanta. It's a healthy option, a healthy place that you love going to.
1: Mine has to be because of where I work. Mine is Mm. upbeat.
0: I knew you were going to say that.
1: I I know. And I don't, I'm I'm sure everybody is, but upbeat is so good. And they are becoming more and more organic, which has made me so happy. Most of their menu is organic. And I strive to get at least six cups of vegetables in a day. Usually it's 10 um, cups of vegetables and you can go get like, three to four cups of vegetables in one of those salads. It's incredible.
0: It's just a lot of chewing. I think I'm a lazy eater. You know, yeah. I need to take those those six cups of vegetables and grind them down into a, uh, you know, a smoothie paste and then just uh, – yeah. Drink that. I mean, that's the that's the only way that's happening for me. Um, yeah. but, but upbeat is amazing. Every, and you know what? Every time I go to Upbeat, I run into an old patient of mine. I have I have yet to be at Upbeat without running into a patient of mine. Oh yeah. For for you know whatever reason, and it's it's a great place. So it's in, it's off Howl Mill. That place is awesome. Um, okay, what, what's your favorite outdoor activity to do uh, in Atlanta? I know you guys got a dog, so it probably involves um, your dogs somehow.
1: It does. I love going to Sweetwater. It's
0: like oh, that place is awesome.
1: Favorite. Yeah. Go for a hike. You're right by the water, take the dog off the leash. So we'll go there or we'll go to like Indian trails, but mm. I love finding these hidden gems of hiking, like right here in the city. Yeah.
0: Um, you know, I was, uh, I was reading a book that, there's a book called why we sleep. Have, have you, yeah. have you read that yet? No, it's, it's really good. It's, you know. it's really interesting. It's just, I mean, I mean, some of it's probably just redundant to what you already know, but, but they were talking about like, um, these times of not having uh, anything distracting us or like, and there's so much content that comes our way uh, now that uh, especially in nature, it gives us our, it gives our mind an opportunity to start to index things uh, correctly and, uh, and and sleep. And then we're talking about sort of like before you go to bed, like the, the nighttime routine piece of it, but it makes so much sense. Like if you're out hiking and, and you know, whatever your, your dog is jumping on rocks at Sweetwater state park and, and you're just sort of like taking it all in. I think, I think that if you, the more present you can be and be like, man, that is a super vibrant green, or like listen to the sound of that water. And that's so hard for us to do now. And a place like that is, is such a good place to just disconnect for a little bit, let your brain relax, you know, and then let your dog have a good time, you know, jumping around in in the water. So awesome. Sweet yep. sweetwater state park's a must. So okay, uh, what's one healthy habit you personally have developed that you feel like has dramatically helped your health uh individually?
1: So I feel like mine is a little bit different than what it was before with opening mm. the business eight months ago. Yeah. So mine, one of them you already mentioned that really has transformed the way I feel is 16 ounces of lemon or apple cider vinegar water every single morning. Like yeah. I do it every single morning. And then I really do try to drink 80 to 100 ounces of water a day. i say super well hydrated, yeah. uh, which has impacted my energy and mental clarity drastically but the other thing is not necessarily what i'm eating and how i'm exercising but what's really helped me through this last eight months is adaptogens which i don't know if you've ever heard of adaptogens no so adaptogens just help your body find balance and so they have been game-changing for me when it comes to periods of high or low stress so this?
0: like some sort of what the hell is it this is what's this fabricated thing you just came up with i've never even heard of this is amazing
1: so there's a lot of different adaptogens. So there's okay. different things like ashwagandha. Have you heard of ashwagandha? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So that's an adaptogen. Oh. Um, maca, rhodiola, all those kind of superfoods, they just gradually work to help your body find balance. So yeah. if I'm waking up and my cortisol is too high, I can bring it down. If I, during the day, I'm getting too low of cortisol, it will bring it up. Wow. So I love adaptogens. I personally right now just get them in my greens. So I use Easy Being Green. I add one scoop. So if you're a lazy eater, you should try adding one Definitely. scoop into your smoothie because yeah. it has yeah. adaptogens. It has greens. It has everything. And um, I swear, I don't know if it's that or if it's the hydration, and I really prioritize sleep, but I have not gotten sick one time um, since opening this place. And as you know from starting your own business, there's a lot of sleepless nights or very low sleep. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so- It's true. You know, but that's a, that's, that says a lot about, I used to feel a little hypocritical with, with our business because, you know, I would only sleep like four hours a night. I was traveling two, three times a month, you know, teaching sometimes internationally. I'd come back, I'd have my patients. I'm talking to my patients about, you know, sleep and stress management and movement and what you're putting in your body. And here I am like living off of just caffeine and, and and trying to just like make it work early on. And, uh, and you just kind of you can do that for a period of time. And then eventually you just dig yourself such a terrible hole you have to, you know, crawl back out of. It's, it's tough. So I think that, you know, for you, for what you do, you've, you've done a really good job of managing it, even though it is an incredibly stressful thing to start a business for anybody. I, I, it's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. So I, I have a lot of respect for what you've done um, so far, but also the way that you've done it, you know, and the people that you're working with, the way that you've decided to work with people on your terms and not necessarily what insurance says they should do or what they're willing to give you money back for, which we know is a bunch of crap. So, you know, I, anyway, it's cool to see where you guys have been, where, how much you've grown already. And, uh, you know, hopefully everybody gets a chance to get exposed to, to you. And, and, and if you can take the time um, for a second and just let people know if they want to follow you on social media or check out more about the practice, where can they go to actually do that?
1: So most of our stuff that we do a lot on Instagram, so you can follow at stat wellness and it's S T A T wellness. And it actually stands for Strength to Achieve Total Wellness, um, so STAT Wellness. And then you can go to our website at stat-wellness.com as well. Um, and then you can always email info at stat-wellness.com if you have any further questions um, or give us a call and our office is on there, but it's 404-254-5905. Um, but we're off Hell Mill, and come say hello. We love giving office tours. Come see the space. Um, we're really excited about it, so we'd love to meet you.
0: Yeah, it's awesome space. We liked it so much. Um, we convinced Kristen to give us an office over there for one of our um, docs. You know, we just we just felt like it was. It's a per, obviously it's a very very like symbiotic relationship and and a, and a really good fit. So we really enjoyed, you know, getting to work with you more closely. You know, learn more from you and and uh, and really grow as a practitioner. So guys, if you're looking for a good primary care um, doc, you have another uh, nurse practitioner at this time as well, right? You just had a, brought a second one on, which congratulations. That's a huge step. That's awesome. Um, so, but yeah, if you're looking for any, anything like that, the functional route is the way that, I mean, I think it's the best way in, in my opinion, from a primary care standpoint, um, Kristen's who we use, I highly recommend her and anybody else on our team is going to be awesome as well. So um, Kristen, thank you so much for your time. This was awesome.
1: Thanks, Danny. I appreciate
0: it. Yeah, absolutely. We'll definitely have to get you back on at some point. I'm sure we've got, I mean, we could have, God, there's probably like 10 things we could go deep on. Um, We'll have to hold on, yeah, for for, for some other time. But um, as always, guys, hey, thanks so much for listening to the Active Atlanta podcast, and we'll catch you next time. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the podcast today. If you want to find out more about our guests or about Athlete's Potential and how we can help you continue to be active and pain-free in life, head over to athletespotential.com to learn more.